Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious, hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey, fam bam. Hope you guys are doing well. Again, welcome back to Last Drinks. This is the Ox Sober Files, where for the month of October, I'm putting together a really practical expert-driven month of content, reimagining some of the most amazing conversations I've had about managing our relationship with alcohol better. This episode is all about your brain. I had the most wonderful conversation with Dr. Inika Whiteman. She's a neuroscientist. She studies the brain. It's what she talks about all day. She gets flown around the world to lead conversations about how our brains work, how we can understand them better, how we can rewire them. I think the thing that I took away from this conversation was it's so important to understand ourselves and our bodies And I had no idea how my brain worked, but once I got a little bit of an insight and Dr. Inika does such an incredible job of really dumbing it down for people like me and she makes the explanation of the brain and how it works just really accessible. And I found once I understood that, I was like, oh, so that's why I was doing stuff that I didn't really want to do, but I didn't know how to stop. And that was my conundrum when I landed in Sober Curiosity. I was like, I keep drinking, but I don't want to. But I keep drinking, but I don't want to. And that didn't make sense to me. And I think after my conversation with Dr. Inika, I got just a really like scratch the surface understanding of maybe how I got stuck in that negative feedback loop of behavior. And so I've reimagined this conversation with Dr. Inika just to give you the brain basics and how it applies to our relationship with alcohol. And I think this can really be something that you can use with any behavior that you are trying to understand about yourself or other people, perhaps, even though we cannot change other people, we can, we can only be responsible for us and changing ourselves. But I think sometimes it's helpful to understand other people and the choices that they're making. So at least you can come at that situation with compassion and empathy. Much like how hopefully during this month that you are trialing the sober life, you are treating yourself with compassion and empathy. This is a steep learning curve Getting through a day, whether it's good, bad or indifferent without alcohol, might be a brand new experience for you and it might be really hard and I fully get that. Then what I'm trying to do with this series is just equip you with as much knowledge and as much information as possible so that you can arm yourself 
with some really great tools on how to navigate sobriety and almost enjoy it. So this is one of my favorite podcast episodes. It's also one of the most popular podcast episodes. So if you have heard it before, I highly encourage you to listen again with fresh ears. There might be some new information that makes sense to you or a point that Dr. Inika makes and she makes some great ones might land a little bit deeper with you on another listen. So I hope that you find something really excellent in here. If you want to know more about the brain, um, get in touch because I've actually got some really amazing resources that I'm happy to share um, and I might pop them in the show notes anyway. But uh, I'd love to know what you guys think of the Oxober files and if it's, you know, helping you out during your month off booze. Um, that's it from me for now. Enjoy! I like to think of the the brain um, in terms of, you know, right down to that microscopic level. You know, our brain's that fleshy lump of tissue that sits inside our skull is made up of about 300 billion individual cells, individual neurons. So a neuron is just a brain cell. So you could almost think about brain cells like, you know, 300 billion poppy seeds making up your brain tissue. Um, they're much smaller than poppy seeds, though. You could actually fit about 50 human neurons across the width of a human hair. So they're about a hundredth of a millimetre across. They're minuscule. And each one of those individual neurons can connect with up to 7,000 other neurons. So you're literally looking at hundreds of trillions of connections between all of those tiny microscopic poppy seeds or neurons inside your brain. So when we look at how brain thinks and how you know, our thoughts work and how communication between those neurons work, um, we can think about it in terms of what we call an electrochemical signal. So these neurons aren't actually physically bound together. They're not physically connected like a lot of other cells and tissues in our body where they sort of make a physical side-by-side um, -side connection. We actually see a gap in between each of these neurons, and this is called a synapse. So if you think about those poppy seeds, those neurons growing out lots and lots of tiny roots known as dendrites or neurites, like these tiny little arms that stretch out and they can connect up to 7,000 cells, as I said, they will actually reach a point where they'll um, connect with another neuron, but there'll be a gap between those two neurons. And when a signal crosses, so we have a, a, a let's say, a thought process. So we have a single thought stimulates one of those neurons and we see an electrical signal traveling about 100 meters a second, traveling along that neuron, along those little dendrites, along those little arms that reach out. And it reaches the end of the, the neuron and there's, it hits that gap, that synapse, and it will trigger the release of a chemical. And that chemical then crosses the gap and then it's taken up by the next neuron and it turns that chemical signal into an electrical signal and then it will travel up as an electrical signal, send a spurt of chemicals out the other end. So we see this sort of electrochemical signaling happening. Now, as I said, you remember those neurons aren't physically connected, but what happens when that chemical signal crosses that gap, it actually induces changes in the neuron on the other side. So that neuron over time becomes more receptive. The more times one neuron communicates with the other, the stronger those neurons become wired together, if you like, you know, they will be very receptive to each other. And there's yeah. an old saying in neuroscience, neurons that fire together will wire together. So as those neurons pass that same thought process again and again 
and again, you can think about it like laying ropes across a crevice, across a big, you know, gap. Each time that thought is passed across, it becomes stronger and stronger, that connection. On the flip side, if you stop using that particular pathway and you stop having that thought over and over again, or you stop learning that piece of information or whatever it might be, and you stop those communication lines between the neurons, they will actually decay and die away. So this is called a use it or lose it principle. The same way, for example, that a root, so we go back to that seed analogy, and I always think about the brain in terms of it being a garden. There's a lot going on. There's roots and there's shoots and there's lots of growth and you know fertile soil in the brain. Yeah. Um, if you stop those neurons from connecting to each other, so as roots, sorry, as roots will travel through the soil looking for input and sustenance and nutrients and water, if it's not getting that input, it will retract and go looking elsewhere uh, for, for that input, for that nutrient. So our brain cells behave very similarly. And so in terms of how habits form, if we have a single thought, and it's said, you know, as, as the average adult human has about 70,000 individual thoughts a day. Um, so if you're a woman, I think, you know, with us, we, we have I've about 20,000. I've got 20, twice 000. that, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. And I'm we have on the about 20,000 of them at once. Yeah, yeah I'm on the upper <laughs> echelon because yeah. this thing, this machine in this head Overdrive? does not stop. <laughs> Overdrive. There you go. And so these are things that we can actually control the way we think mm. and the thought processes that we have. We're actually in control of them. So are those 70,000 thoughts and that busy brain that we have um, is actually what what creates those connections and what reinforces those connections. If we choose to stop having a thought in a particular way or we, we choose to stop um, um, re-ingraining, you know, reinforcing those particular habits or those particular thought processes or actions and activities that we're doing, we actually stop the connections between the, the brain cells from, from becoming stronger and over time those connections will die away. So we can create and recreate and um, change the very, you know, connectivity between those neurons just by choosing the way we think or not think. This is so interesting because I feel like, so it's so hard to like talk about this stuff because I think a lot of people, and this is not a judgment, this is definitely how I, I think where I used to think is mm. that like, well, I'm not in control of my thoughts. My thoughts are just happening in my head and they're just, they mm. come and they go and then they make, and then now I'm anxious and because mm. I'm anxious now I'm going to have a drink and now I'm going to drink and then yes. black out and then I don't have to think about it. I think that's a yeah. really plausible mm. scenario that a lot of people find themselves in where we don't think we have control over our thoughts. But what you're yep. saying is mm. that we actually do. And I think when you can find the empowerment to accept mm. that, then you can start affecting change mm. and it's starting from that that very seed of thought yep exactly and i think that's a really important point that this is you know you your brain doesn't control the way you think and the wiring in your brain doesn't control how you think it's actually the exact opposite your thinking controls the wiring of your brain so this is literally mind over matter or mind over brain matter that by choosing to have a particular thought you know, yeah. You're basically performing micro neurosurgery on yourself and choosing to change the wiring at that very microscopic level. And this is really, I mean, this the whole principle is called neuroplasticity. You know, neuroscience likes to give very technical, complicated terms to everything. But if you think, if you break it down, neuro is basically brain. Neuro brain plasticity means it's it's able to be melted down and remolded. It's plastic. It's it's very malleable. 
So our brains are not hardwired. And even, you know, 40 years ago, this is a relatively new concept, neuroplasticity that was only discovered by scientists about 40 to 45 years ago. Um, It was first thought that the neurons that we were born with and the connections between them um, at birth were what we had for the rest of our life. But what we know now is that it's a unique, (laughs) exactly, but it's a unique organ in that we we can change and remould. It's extremely dynamic. It's plastic. It's neuroplastic. We are in control of the way our brain's wired by the the choices we make, the thoughts we have, um, our decisions and so on. I think this is really encouraging for people who are sober curious mm, because yep. they might be listening going, I don't think I can change. I I, mm. I drink at the end of a hard day. I drink at the end of a good day. I yep. can't socialise without alcohol. These are all thoughts that we're yes. having yeah, in our yeah. head and we yep. can actually change them. And so, therefore, I think it makes the idea of changing our behaviour so accessible. Yes. Like there's a low bar to entry because we yep. all hopefully have a brain that works yes. in the same way as you have explained. Yep. And if that's the case, mm. then it is it is simple. It's like, as you said, it's that chemistry mm. that really plays into how we form habits yep. and then I guess how we redo our habits and our mm. behaviours. Mm. And so when, you know, we, we hear the a, a common term is, I'll give you a scenario, mm-hmm. um, like I get up early for work, I get in my car, I drive to work, I don't remember driving. Mm. But I get to work and I'm fine. But yeah. it's like this whole autopilot thing. Yes. So is that similar to what you were saying is like that whole um the wire the fire together wire together mm-hmm. neural pathways. I've like gotten up and gotten in my car and driven to work so many times. I don't even think mm-hmm. about it anymore. It just happens. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So that's what we would um term habituation or you know we we become desensitized to things that we do over and over as you correctly said this autopilot concept is really our brains become very good at just adapting and um, habituating to certain things. And that's just something that you're not actually tapping into the very conscious part of your brain when you're following that route to work. Um, it's just in there and it's it's on autopilot doing its thing. And so, again, for people, that's drinking behaviour, yeah. right? So if yeah. you start drinking as a teenager in social situations and every party you go to, you have a bunch of beer and a bunch of wine and you end up mm. vomiting or whatever, mm. the more and the more and the more that we do that, the more habitual that becomes. And then it's yeah. just like you get to a point where you don't know how to socialise without, without alcohol because you've not ever really done it. Yes. Well, and in terms of thinking about, you know, that neurochemistry, those brain chemicals when we drink alcohol, I think it's important for people to understand sort of, I guess, the nuts and bolts, like what are the chemicals and what are they doing specifically related to alcohol? Because I think if people understand that, they're more likely to, you know, I guess, understand the nuts and bolts and therefore put into practice the things that can help them move away from that or overcome you know those tendencies and from becoming a a nice feel-good thing to do to drink alcohol to then over time becoming a um, a habit and then over time that becoming you know a very um, abusive relationship with alcohol and and a technical and clinical addiction so I wanted to, I guess, talk about those specific neurochemicals and what happens at that um, when we when we drink alcohol. Yeah, so there are I think, two things. I know we... one of them is dopamine. Yes, that's, that's right. That's a thing. 
Yep, absolutely. So if we, t- we think about it in terms of that immediate sense, like what, what happens immediately and in the short term when we drink alcohol, and then we'll talk about alcohol use over the long term. Okay. So in the immediate sense, um, the, when we drink alcohol, it triggers a release of certain neurochemicals. So we talked about this electrochemical signal. Um, that enable our brains, you know, to talk, our brain cells to talk and communicate. And the chemical messages that transmit those signals are the two main effects. There's one, one neurotransmitter called GABA, um, which has a very technical long name, which I won't bore you with, but this is effectively our in- inhibitory neurotransmitter. It, it increases um, the inhibition within our brain. So it's why, you know, this sort of makes us feel sedated and relaxed, you know, when, when we have a glass of wine or, or a drink. Um, and it's why, you know, this, this is really the primary um, chemical to making us feel more relaxed and decrease our inhibitions, say, in social settings. I know you've talked about being, you know, a chronic introvert and, and alcohol back in the day would help be sort of, I guess, the social lubricant for you. And that, oh, that's, absolutely. that's because of this increase in GABA, this inhibitory um, neuron in your brain that makes you feel more relaxed and more sedated yes. and you don't feel so anxious. Yes. So um, for me, I would feel really anxious going into a, a very big social situation yeah and so prior to getting there I'd have a few wines yeah to take the edge off yes and, that's and so exactly... then I could chill a bit more the mm-hmm. inhibitions are down and I can yep. go and do the small talk and do the the extroverted thing that kind of came a bit unnaturally for me ironically because I'm a performer which is <laughs> yeah. very confusing it took but me a long time common. to figure I mean, out hear that a lot too it's yeah it does feel like a paradox but it uh, does yeah it's I mean your work is to be an extrovert but personally and you know when you're quiet and private time at home it's yeah oh a cup of tea by the pool yeah yeah, yeah. just like you're, you're just like my husband he's the same <laughs> Netflix and a you know a cup of tea oh. and some cookies hot water <laughs> bottle best friend yeah <laughs> Um, but the problem is when you have more than just a couple of glasses, that GABA, so this inhibitory relaxation um, chemical, is then what leads us to become more sluggish and, you know, clumsy with our movements. We get the slurred speech and our delayed reaction time because we sort of reach this, we're past the point of just feeling relaxed and now we've gone into this sort of clumsy because we're too sedated. Um, but then on the flip side of that, we have, and you mentioned dopamine. So this is the other major neurochemical that, that is affected with alcohol. Um, and it's basically implicated in what we call the reward pathways in the brain. So dopamine is what helps us to feel, you know, that feeling of pleasure and euphoria, um, this well-being, that, you know, that warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, so in, in, um, it's 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 sort of a double whammy you get this really relaxed sedated you know oh I'm you know life is so good and then you get this euphoric um, pleasure feeling from the dopamine Um, and this is really thought to be you know this is what this dopamine and this area of the brain that it's released called the the nucleus accumbens sort of this reward pathways of our brain is what leads us to so the more we have that feel good feeling it leads to us wanting you know more of that feeling to really satisfy that craving you know for that good feeling you know that kick that that rush that we feel and so over time this this goes from being just a you know a nice controlled I'll have a glass of wine or two at the Christmas party um, and it's a very controlled and, and you have control over those actions and those desires. But over time, we ingrain this and this habit forms and we get so used to this feeling of, you know, the goodness that we get when we have a glass of alcohol, you know, a glass of wine, 
um, and it turns into really, I guess, this this habit forming and, and addictions. We're really feeding that reward pathway over and over again and it becomes more deeply wired into us. The other thing that happens with that too is that we talk about habituation um, and these, these brain cells getting used to this input that over time it actually takes more alcohol to get the same effect, you know, that same feel-good effect. So whereas it might take a glass of wine or two uh, for you to feel comfortable and, you know, relaxed in a social setting, that might take a whole bottle further down yes. the track and more yeah. and more because your brain is, you know, really getting used to, to this feeling. And I think further down the track, and I think a lot of people that gravitate towards these conversations are in this situation mm. where despite negative impact, like so despite yes. the hangover, the anxiety, the making a complete dick of yourself, yep. despite all of those consequences, because mm. those neural pathways are so, like like you say, the fire wire, it's so yep. wide in there yep. that regardless of the result, you end up drinking Coronas at 1pm on a Saturday. Yep. When you woke up that morning saying, I'm never going to drink again. Yes. And that then is that really destructive cycle of like, yep. I don't know how to stop. And that was my, yep. that was me. I was yep. like, I, it wasn't leaving Las Vegas. It was. Mm. I was still had a really great job. I was in a relationship. I was moderately healthy-ish. Mm. You know, I could still get out of bed and go for a run, but I was drinking a bottle of wine every single night and I had no idea how to socialise without mm. being half-cut. Yeah. And so it took completely taking alcohol out of the equation, which was yep. so scary, mm. and resetting those neural pathways over time is what mm. happened. And I remember day mm. 22, 23 of that first month of not having alcohol, I literally woke up one morning in a cat and I felt like someone had switched a light on. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, is this the clarity I have been missing out on for most mm. of my adult life? Because yep. I tolerated what alcohol like what the effects of alcohol were, were doing yep. to me and yep. then you can kind of exist running on 70 percent capacity thinking you're 100 percent capacity yeah yeah you know and then yep. it's it, so it's not until you and I really do think that if you can find a place where you can moderate great good for you it's not for mm. everyone but mm. having a decent amount of time off alcohol is yep. the best way to reset those those chemical reactions exactly maz and you hit the nail on the head your magic number of 22 to 23 days after you'd gone off alcohol it's actually 21 days to form a habit that's what they say so 21 yeah. days of doing the a repeated thing like abstaining from alcohol and overriding your desire to go crack a corona or a, a bottle of wine mm -hmm. There's something that happens, and this is still, you know, we're still scratching the surface when it comes to knowing all that we know about the brain. We don't know why exactly at that sort of very molecular level why 21 is the magic number, 21 days, mm -hmm. um, but it's thought that we go through sort of very um, fundamental genetic changes within the brain cells and all those receptors to the chemicals and sort of that, that, that neural transmission between the cells. There's something really fundamental happening there, but it takes 21 days to get to that. So keeping that number in mind, you know, for encouraging anybody to to go through that pathway of abstaining from alcohol, that's kind of, you know, and, and having the, the right support around you and the right mantras and the right people, um, it, it's absolutely possible. And this is this is what I love. I love my job because, you know, I guess my, my day job is, is my research and my um, you know, the, working with children with these brain disorders. But 
um, I guess on the side as, as really it's just a, such a passion and a hobby, you know, is going around to schools and corporates and churches and anyone that'll have me really, I'm so passionate about this that actually it's so empowering that you have the equipment and the tools right now in, in your inside your, your skull, in, in your brain, everybody has the tools and the equipment to unwire and rewire, you know, these, these habits. And for someone that might have been, um, you know, experiencing, I guess, the chronic use of alcohol over a much longer period of time, it's, it's harder to break those habits, but it's not impossible. That's right. Um, but, you know, particularly for those that are, might be moderate to, to heavy drinkers that are, you know, like you say, sober mm. curious, um, whether or not they think they can do it. I mean, you know, w- you went through this yourself oh, I did years it. ago. And it was a small miracle. You can, you yeah. can do it. And that self-belief, mm. the, the, the number one, um, the, like the first step in, in abstaining and, um, you know, quitting alcohol is believing that you can. And you absolutely can. You have the equipment inside you right now in, in your mind and your brain to, yeah. to stop and, and really rewire those, those cravings and those thoughts away from it. I think for so many people listening, they're going to feel so relieved because mm, it's like, yeah. you know, looking down the barrel of sobriety, if you're yeah. in that like really negative loop and it's, you know, it's damaging relationships and it's just not a good thing in your world, yep. but, the, but it's all you know. It's terrifying mm. looking yep. at like what what would my life look like if I mm. were sober, even yep. for a small period of time. But to mm. know that the tools are inbuilt yep. and and it's so, so doable just mm. levels the playing field and it makes it really accessible. And yep. one thing I will say, because um, I think humans do this a lot, is mm. you get to day 22, you have the paradigm shift and then you celebrate with a glass of champagne. Don't do that. No, no, you know, absolutely. Because it's like then They're still I, very delicate, those connections so, that you've formed. Yeah. Because you've got to spend as long, I guess, like re- yep. doing the rewire. Yes. And so don't do the whole, I've done the 22 days, I had my aha Oprah moment yep. and like let's go neck a bottle of champagne. Yep. Celebrate and I'm because, in control again and I can do this, you know, it's, you know, you're absolutely right, Maz, it's and it's a really, your, really important point to make. Yeah. Because It'll you know, put this you is, straight back on your ass. This is real. Like, you know, we, yeah. we, there are people listening to this that are going to listen and take this as gospel truth. And, you know, I, I, it really it, it is. It's clinically uh, and scientifically um, proven that this is the way um, that our brains rewire. But and this is why people relapse from addictions and, mm-hmm. you know, fall through the cracks and um, find themselves back on the, you know, the wagon. Um, or falling off the wagon, whichever way you look at it. I've never um, figured that sentence no. out. Are we on the wagon? Am <laughs> I off the wagon? Did I get back on? Exactly. I don't. There's Where a wagon. But effectively, it's it's something that we need to maintain. And it's not just mm. a simple, right, like you say, I've done the 21 days, right, ready to go. This is because your brain is constantly rewiring itself. You need to maintain those just as, um, I love this analogy that if you're a ship, um, you know, think about a ship steering on on course, and it's got its directions, it's got its coordinates of where it needs to go. Even if it's one degree off, and you start to drift by one degree, and you think, oh, "I'll just have one glass or two glasses," over time, you know that drift become that one degree becomes very um, obvious. You know, you can be miles and miles off course over time. We need to keep recorrecting and re, you know, enforcing those connections and reinforcing those habits. Yeah. Um, to to make sure that you know we stay on track and on or off the wagon. 
you know, just from the conversation we've had, I think for some people that's why moderation is maybe mm. harder yes. than being completely sober because yep. you Agreed. do, a, you know, a decent amount of time, 100 days or whatever it is in sobriety, and then you, yep. you have that one drink. Your brain still yep. can go back to not that's all right. the way and back. And it does, it triggers it yeah, can trigger, it can trigger those then, connections again. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I really wanted to make a point of saying, yeah, just you don't have to like be a superhero and go hang mm. out at a bar on day 21 just to prove to yeah. everyone that you're sober. By yeah. 21 days, you're not necessarily that sober, but mm. your brain is getting used to the idea of not functioning with alcohol in your brain. Yeah. So yeah. you'll feel all these really interesting things that might feel a bit foreign, like your mm. feelings. And yep. I remember being super emotional in the back end mm. of that first month because I wasn't suppressing anything that came up that felt mm. a bit funky for me. Yep. And then, like I said, the clarity in my head, my creativity just went on another level. And then because I had this beautiful commodity of time that I used to spend just getting wasted, I was plus like, money. Oh, plus <laughs> money, thousands. <laughs> I, you know, it's all of a sudden, mm. it's like, I've got all this time. What am I going to do? Well, of course, I'm going to clean out my kitchen cupboards. Duh. Mm. And you just start and then you go, well, that was productive. Oh, mm. I ticked that off. My, you know, and it's this. And see, now you're reinforcing the good stuff. The because good that stuff. actually, the, the feeling you get when you declutter is actually also activating the reward pathways. You get dopamine release when you're doing something like that. And My husband can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I rearranged the house. Yep. Like it's a slight problem. Mari yeah, Kondo would be proud of me. And yeah. But yeah, I'm like, I'm always doing, he's like, what are you doing now? I'm like, I don't know. It just feels good. Sparks joy. Yep. But see, yeah. and that's that, that's that pleasure reward center. And mm. see, I think we think about the reward and pleasure pathways as sometimes in a negative sense with negative connotations, you know, because this is how addictions form. But we can also become, you know, very, um, rewired in in those pleasure centers for, for good things you know like actually kindness random acts of kindness also release the same chemicals that that sort of that pleasure feeling in the reward pathways and let's you know flood our brains with dopamine doing good things like decluttering and you know serving others and you know kindness I mean it sounds it, it's actually not as um I guess you know fluffy feel good as as what I'm making it sound it's actually got a very neuroscientific basis and and doing things and and when we're in this state of you know love and empathy and awareness of others it's actually doing incredible things neurologically for us as well so to I guess diversion is is what you're really getting to you say I've got all this time keep yourself busy rather than drinking, go declutter your cupboards or go, you know, bake something and take it to a friend in need. Or so you're actually diverting yourself away from it to do good things. And you're ingraining those, you know, rewiring those connections, good connections into the brain. That's so encouraging too, because in the book that I'm writing, um, I get people to build out their very own sober toolkit. So Mm. I list all of the sober tools that I've kind of, you know, dabbled with and found over my eight year eight years of sobriety and Mm. I'm like you know know thyself like pick what works for you and one of them is do something for someone else if you're having a moment where you're like I've done this sobriety thing for a few weeks now and I'm you know tempted 
Go and do go and buy somebody a coffee. Go, bake mm. a meal or drop it on a neighbor's doorstep. Send yeah. send somebody some flowers anonymously and yeah. light somebody else's world up because mm. the feeling that you get when you yeah. impact joy and kindness into someone yeah. else's life, yeah. it's not done enough. But if everybody yeah. did it, it'd be a really different world. Yeah. It's a good addiction to have, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then can you take that of... too far? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, I guess everything in moderation, right? You get a car. But, you get a yeah. car. <laughs> get your Oprah on. But, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think the, important to, you know, emphasise having that toolkit around you and scaffolding is really important to have the right people around you. You want people that are going to support you, with these new choices and reinforce, you know, that you're doing the right thing. I'm really big on mantras and um, putting, you know, my kids are familiar with me getting out, you know, the chalk pens and writing on their mirrors and I'll do little, you know, little quotes and, um, you know, be brave. You're braver than you know, stronger than you think and loved more than you can possibly imagine, you know, things like that. Because you know what, when you expose yourself to that sort of thing and you've got, you know, your, your, um, quotes and um what's the word I'm looking for Maz oh your mantras inspirational quotes yeah and mantras it's really it's it it does have an effect at that very fundamental neurological level when you get up in the morning and you see that saying you know I I am strong I will get through this you're reinforcing those pathways in your brain. It's not just a, you know, a lip service. It really does make a difference. So to reinforce yeah. over and over again, you know, for those weak moments, phone that person who's your support person who can pep yeah. talk you through getting through that craving. Um, that scaffolding is really, really important and taking away the things that might tempt you for for a period. It doesn't have to be, you know, that you can never be around alcohol again. Um, but it's just, you know, being kind to yourself and making it easier for yourself and putting the right structures tools and scaffolding in place to help you through you know what is invariably you know difficult for most people to Mm. to make that decision and Um, I think what I love that you do that for your kids on their mirrors because I think that that becomes their self-talk yeah and we can do it to ourselves you know like it's what whatever you are gonna get put in your eyes it's going to land in your brain it's going to plant a seed and the more positive self-talk you do yes affirmations (laughs) affirmative yeah yeah the more positive self-talk that's going on in your brain again it's those neural pathways that are getting created and Mm -hmm. on the flip side the more you sit there going this is so shit i'm not drinking i'm missing out I really want to drink, blah, blah, blah. Like then that Mm. is going to be the self-talk and that's not going to be helpful. Yeah. And actually, even though Mm. you think you're, you know, breaking the habit, you're actually still reinforcing it because you're thinking about alcohol, you're talking about alcohol and how much Mm. you're missing it. You know, this is, Mm. there's something called point fixation. I don't know if you've ever heard this term before, but um, effectively, I'll I'll use example, my husband used to race um, super bikes, you know, the Moto Moto GP bikes. Very cool. As as an amateur, he wasn't professional, but he would talk about this thing, you know, point fixation on the track that as you're going down, you know, this straight at 300 kilometres an hour, 280 kilometres an hour, there might be some sort of blemish on the track, like a bit of gravel or something, you know, that you look at this this thing and you say, I can't hit that. I'm not going to hit that. I'm not going to hit this point. But because you're so you're fixated looking. on it, what do you do? You yeah. hit it. 
Oh my right? God. So by yes. not, by focusing on the fact that you're no longer having alcohol and how shit it is that you're not having alcohol and how much you're missing that drink, it's actually a form of point fixation and you're going to stumble on it. Yeah. So it's actually better to completely divert your attention Fill your mind with other things, mm. fill your days and your, you know, your hours with other things so that you're not constantly thinking about that alcohol and how much you're missing it. So yeah, have that before a... you set out to do it, you yeah. know, get your list of things you can do to, to distract the yourself and, and the people you can lean on. Yeah. Bake a lasagna. It's, yeah. um, it's interesting that you say that because when I was learning how to snowboard, Mm-hmm. Um, it's a similar thing. So we were, we, I was learning to do tree runs and mm-hmm. in my head, I'm like, don't look at the trees. Don't look at the trees. <laughs> I know. It's if you very look unnatural. At the tree, but, yeah. If you look at the tree, you're going, you're going to hit mm-hmm. it. And especially mm-hmm. when you're in like tight forest and it's really, you know, you've got to slip and slide your way through there. You have to look for the gaps. Yep. You've got to look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. Exactly. That's so interesting that you've kind of flipped that mm. into a, like, because that's been a sober experience for me yeah. where I'm like instead of thinking about not drinking all the time and being annoyed that I'm not drinking, I had to flip it completely and mm. go, what can I do? Yeah. Like what am I going to do rather than sit here and be miserable and yeah. meditate on that misery and feel mm. like I'm missing out? I'm going to go create something epic and, and walk towards something more yeah. exciting for me. Yep. Exactly. And there's a saying too, I mean, that you were talking about the seeds of thought that actually what, what you give your mental attention to is what you will manifest in your life. Mm. So I'll say that again for your listeners. Wait, hang on a second. What what you give your mental attention to is what you will manifest in your life. So by repeating something. Manifester. Yeah. (laughs) Of good things. Yeah. See, and the more you think about it and you look Mm. to the horizon and you say, well, this is where I want to be, you know, a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. And you think about that and you, you meditate on that, the good stuff, and you manifest Mm. all your thoughts towards that, then, you know, you you will see the fruits of that. And and we really are, you know, the sum of what we, what we think. (laughs) I, I think therefore I am. And it's true. I think you really, you know, not just from a sort of a psychological, um, you know, um, metaphysical sense. This is very, very much hardcore biological science, you know, that what what we think about manifests in our brain and and forms the connections for it. Because I think a lot of people think manifesting is a load of, you know, spiritual new age BS. Mm. And I Mm. think there's an element of that. I think the wellness industry really takes stuff, you know, can take stuff from science and really fluff it up and dumb it down, which is annoying. Um, But I think, I think people will hear what, you know, truly what you're saying, because we've had a big discussion about how our thoughts kind of create us because they create our behaviors and we are how we behave. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you absolutely can manifest things because it's it's there's that book I can't remember who it's by but it's think and grow rich. It's yeah, not like right. work your ass off and grow rich, yeah. but the yeah. whole principle is like yeah. what you're focusing your attention to, what you're feeding your brain will become how you exist in the world. Mhm. Because if you think so about amazing. that, like everything goes back to everything about us is it's it really defines us in character, it defines our habits, our actions, our reactions, our successes, our failures, our relationships, everything in life really 
comes from a thought, a, you know, beginning a seed of a thought. And then over time, we keep having that thought, it becomes a habit. And it builds, you know, over time, those those habits become who we are in character. And to think about the power of our thinking and the power of our mind is, I think, essential to, you know, understanding that we've got the equipment we need um, right here. At the same time, though, I do want to make the point that it's not as as easy for everybody, you know, to simply rewire and that if you do have trouble and you do feel like you're falling off, you know, the wagon, then to make sure you've got the right people around you, go and seek medical advice and medical help because that that will be a very real um, situation for a lot of people. And don't be disheartened. You know, it's, it's, it's something that we can do and with the right supports around us, we can. So don't don't be discouraged or disheartened if you find that it's a lot harder than you thought mm. or you're relapsing or really struggling with it. Yeah, and I love the term scaffolding. Mm. That's so good because, mm. like, your GP, your therapist mm-hmm. or your online platform or you know, however you're deciding to do or combination of many things as part of your scaffold is going to keep that structure. Yeah. Right. It's going to, mm. cause you think about when you put scaffold around a house, mm. it's holding it in place. That's what the yep. scaffold is there for. It's yep. to hold you up to help you succeed. And I love that image of, mm. so what's, what's in my scaffolding to help me, you know, navigate this journey and navigate it really well. And maybe you get a month or two down the track and you think, um, I need to add this in or I, you, you know what I can like pause mm. on the therapy stuff right now because I'm feeling really strong in my choice or, or what have you, and pivot accordingly. Mm, yeah. That's such great advice. Well, Thank you so much. You mm. are just so brainy. <laughs> you are. But what I loved, and I love this about our chat a couple of weeks ago, is I just feel like you you take this this idea of neuroscience, I think, blows people's minds. They're like, it's so sciencey and it's just too much and I don't understand. It's so complex. And you really make it so easily understandable even for a nuffy like me and I know that so people listening will probably have a really great understanding now of how the the old lump of fat in their head works <laughs> and that's going to set them up for a win it's so mm. good oh I'm yeah I hope this is a you know light bulb for a lot of people it's it's yeah it, it, I'm I'm passionate about it Maz you know helping people I know. live live better and you know they've got the equipment they just need to know how to use it it's so good thank you so much pleasure thanks for listening make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode new episodes are published every monday you can follow us on tiktok at last drinks or catch up with me on instagram at maz compton stay curious hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.